But have you ever started a job thinking that it would be easy, and it would only take a few minutes, you know, not a long job, but then finding out that when you start it, actually it's not as simple as you thought. I find nearly all of my DIY jobs uh, around the house, I think, oh, you know, it's only going to take five minutes, you only need to you know, hammer in one nail. And then you suddenly discover, well, there's a problem with the wall, and there's a problem with the nail, and there's something with the hammer, and then you've got to pull out the nail, and it gets so, so complicated. It seems like every job that I do like that turns out this way. Well, tonight, I thought, well, I know what I'll do. It's Easter. I'll just finish off a little bit of what I wanted to say this morning. I'll just sort of look at this idea of Passover and Exodus, and how it points us forward to the event of Easter in the morning. And then in the evening, I'll think about the meal itself. And I was thinking to myself, you know, it's fine, you know, it's focusing on a meal, and everybody likes food and meat chill, we have nearly everything that we do, uh, with copious amounts of food, don't we, you hear about soup, bread and wine, you know, we can barely have a meeting without uh, food. But I wanted to look at how that meal, the Passover, points to the meal that we'll share later on in the meeting. That's the bread and wine, not the bread and soup, just to clarify. Um, but the thing is, it's never that simple, is it? It's never, you always start, I think, oh, this is going to be a dead simple, this talk will write itself. But actually, it's never that simple. And it's partly complicated by the fact that the Passover meal now, that you can read about and get books about, is almost certainly not the same as the Passover meal that Jesus had, and the one that Jesus changed into the Lord's Supper. It's changed since that time. And the Passover meal that they had in Jesus' time has changed since the Passover meal uh, that we had this morning from Exodus 12, when it started. And that's before we even get into what any of it means. I mean, just working out which meal are we going to talk about? Are we going to talk about the one uh, that was back then? Are we going to, oh, it just sounds so complicated. So we're going to try and keep it simple this evening, but it's quite, uh, it's been boggling my mind uh, all week. So first of all, what is it? When we talk about the Passover meal, what are we talking about? Well, this is what we've got uh, for the meal today. So there's an order, there's uh, those different things on the plates. The things to the side, that's the unleavened bread uh, that they were to eat, and they would have three pieces of those on the table. And it's quite an elaborate feast, and there are sort of variations from different communities, depending on where they uh, lived in the past. But the meal starts with a blessing, and then there's the first cup of wine that they're there to drink. Then, they wash their hands. Why they drink the wine before they wash their hands, I don't know. But they wash their hands second. Then, they get some of that uh, parsley or lettuce there, and they dip it in salt water. Okay, and then eat it. Next, they take uh, the middle, one of the stack of three, unleavened bread, and uh, they break it in two, and one piece they hide in the house, and the other piece uh, they eat. The next thing they do is they retell the story of the Passover, and they have four questions that they've got to ask, and they drink a cup of wine at the same time. The questions they've got to ask are, why do we eat unleavened bread at this time? Why is it that we only eat bitter herbs tonight? Uh, why is it that on all other nights we do not dip our food even once in salt water, but in this evening we do it twice? And then the final one is, that why is it that of all other nights we dine sitting upright or reclining, but on this night we recline? So they actually eat sort of leaning uh, as they eat it. By the way, I wondered about that one, because the other ones I think, yeah, I've got my head around that. Apparently it's because actually in ancient times, if, if you stood up at a meal, you were a servant, you were a slave. So the people who were sat down at the meal meant they were free. So they sit down and enjoy their, their freedom. Then they wash their hands again. 
and then uh, they uh, bless the bread, and then they eat some of the bitter herbs. Now that can be horseradish, it can be onion, again it sort of depends uh, where you come from as to exactly what it is, but they're the bitter herbs they're talked about uh, in the Bible. Then they eat a sandwich made of the bread, and inside it they have the bitter herbs. And then they eat the rest of the, the food there. Then they go and find a bit of bread that they hid and eat that. And then they bless and drink a third cup of wine. Then they recite Psalms 115 to 118. And uh, then they drink the fourth cup of wine. And then they finish the evening by saying, next year in Jerusalem. All clear? <laughs> so that is the festival as it is now. The four cups that they drink... Uh, come from the four verbs, the four uh, doing words in Exodus 6, 6 and 7. I will bring you out, I will deliver you, I will redeem you, I will take you to be my people. And then the cup of sanctification, the cup of judgment, the cup of redemption, and the cup of praise. It's very, very complicated. It's, it's a sort of, sort of structure has been built up over many, many years. And it was codified, it was put down on paper about 200 AD. But it's not the same one that Jesus had. And we know that because part of this is that the things like the lamb shank bone and the hard-boiled egg, they're actually there to replace the sacrifices that took place in the temple. When Jesus was around, they actually had the sacrifices from the temple. So that was, that's what we have it now. Very complicated, very structured, uh, very strange. But the original Passover was not uh, that complicated, really. The Bible's idea of Passover is much more simple. There's bread... There's a lamb that's to be roasted. There's blood on the doorposts. Some communities uh, still do that, some don't. There's one question that the children are to ask. What do you mean by doing this, referring to the blood? Uh, but that's it. There are commandments for the first time to stay in your house and to eat with your belt fastened and ready to go. It's unclear whether they're supposed to sort of carry those on, but it's actually quite a simple meal. And yet we know it was adapted by Jesus' time. Do you notice that there's no mention of wine, actually, in the original Passover? And yet we know that Jesus drank wine and blessed it. That was an integral part of the meeting by the time Jesus was around. There's the dipping in the water, because that's how Jesus identifies Judas to the disciples. So we see that Jesus went along with the traditions of his day, but as we'll see, for the Lord's Supper, he massively adapted them. It's different from uh, as it was uh, now, though, because there was a temple where the Passover lambs were killed <coughs> and sacrifices were made. So it's unlikely that they would eat the stand-ins, if you like, when they actually had the real thing. So likely, in that respect, it's closer to the original. So that's what it is, okay? That's the complicated bit out of the way. What's the same? As we think about the Lord's Supper, well, both meals are meals to remember, they're meals of remembrance. For the Passover, it was the rescue from Egypt. For us Christians, it's the rescue from sin. We're to do it to remind ourselves regularly of what God has done. It's also a meal based on real historic events. Think about it. So the first one was based on the Exodus. That's what all the imagery is around. Our meal is based on the cross, Christ's Exodus. Jesus actually calls it that in Luke 9. 31. They're both meals based on rescues. So it wasn't just that they were any events, you know, it could be this event or that. Or, no, they were actually rescues. They're reminders of God stepping into history and rescuing his people. 
There are also to be narrated meals. So do you notice that in the Passover, as they go through there to explain what they're doing, people are asking questions, they're looking at why they're eating. And as we share bread and wine, it's supposed to be a narrated meal. Jesus narrates what he's doing. He explains what he's doing as he goes through. And that's to help us understand what the imagery is. It's not just to be eaten in silence. And it's a meal for God's people alone. So if you go back to the original Passover, the people were to be circumcised to eat it. And that was a condition. If you wanted to eat it, you had to become part of God's people. Well, in the New Testament, we're called to examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith before we share in bread and wine. It's a meal only for those who put their trust in Jesus. It's also a meal, though, that all God's people are to join in with. It was a mark of the people of Israel that they celebrated it every year. And it's a mark of the church that we celebrate it regularly. It's a mark of who we are. Whatever the name on the front of the door, all churches do some sort of version of this. Apart from Salvation Army, but we won't go there. Um, But all churches do something like this. It marks us out uh, as Christians. Then the final thing that's the same is bread and wine. Those are the two elements that carry over from the Passover meal. And they're given significance by Christ and a new meaning. So bread in the original was all to do with haste and sort of catching up and being quick. Where here actually the bread being broken is Christ's body. So that's what's the same. What's different? Well if you think about what we have in a meal with the Lord's Supper, there's one sort of glaring big difference, isn't there? There's no lamb. That was the big deal, wasn't it, in the Passover meal, the lamb. You would think that our meal, that was sort of based on it, uh, would have lamb. But Jesus mentions no lamb. We don't share lamb, which I'm sure the the people who get communion plates and things are ready are very glad about. You know, we don't have to cook a, a roast before we do it. Why don't we have a lamb? Because Christ is our lamb. Christ, the Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. That once for all sacrifice has been done. So now we don't need a lamb because we already have a lamb. There are also no bitter herbs. There's no horseradish or onions or anything like that. The lamb would come with bitter herbs. Now, this is one that's really puzzled me all week. And I've tried reading everything I can find on bitter herbs and why we don't have them. And there's next to nothing that I can find through history on why we don't have them. When the true Passover lamb, though, if you think about it, came, he came with bitterness. If we think of it as being Jesus, then actually we understand that when he came, he came with bitter herbs. He came with bitterness, was rejected. One person who had written about it was Spurgeon, famous Baptist pastor from Victorian times. He said that it was to do with our response to come repentantly. But if you think about it, all the rest of the meal is to do with Christ. So it seems to make more sense that this is to do with his suffering, his humiliation. And like the lamb, in that sense, that is finished. He has died. So the focus is not so much on what went on before in our own lives, the bitterness and service to sin, but on what Christ went through, the way that he went through suffering. And our focus then is our present reality and what lies ahead. It's also not once a year, unless you're in Scotland. Uh, the Church of Scotland, I believe, I think it's that one, uh, just has communion, just has bread and wine once a year, and you have to go and sort of, there's a season of preparation, all sorts of stuff. But it's here as a regular reminder. It's not supposed to be just something that we do once in a blue moon. It's something that's to regularly remind us of Christ's death, 
And that's a big difference. It's because it's something that we live out every day. Also different is we share one cup, not four. Now, I know this evening we've got 32 cups, but that's not quite the the idea. Really, we share one cup. They come from one uh, one bottle. That's close enough, I suppose. Um, But the idea is that it's, it's to do with unity. Though more is made of the one loaf, which we definitely do have just one loaf this evening. The final one is that the bread is not unleavened. So I have made the bread today. It is bread of haste because I did it on the rapid cycle on the, the loaf, so it's a little bit doughy uh, today. But it's not unleavened, it's, it's not yeast in. And um, that would actually, in, in Eastern churches, in like go Russia and over there, um, unleavened bread was actually banned. If you try and do unleavened bread, they kick you out of the church. And that's one of the reasons given for the split of the Eastern and Western churches, uh, was over what sort of bread you had. Cranmer, in the prayer book for the Church of, e- uh, of England, said that the bread should be as eaten, uh, is, sorry, that should be uh, as such as is usual to be eaten, but the best and purest as may conveniently be gotten. Now, I can't promise you it's the best and purest. <laughs> so it's not got a lot of additives, because I know exactly what into it. But actually, it, it's just to be normal bread. It's a reminder that this, this is an everyday thing. Christ is our everyday sustenance. Catholics and Lutherans still use unleavened bread. Um, but our meal is not followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread, if you like. So we don't have an obligation to have unleavened bread. Best to treat them as two separate ideas. So that's the sort of similarities and differences between the two. Big question, last question, so what? Well, the Passover meal, if you think about those similarities and differences, should help us understand a bit better what we're doing when we share the Lord's Supper. This also, like I say, is a meal to remember. It wasn't their actual rescue. This isn't repeating Christ's sacrifice, but it's a reminder of that one-time rescue. This is also a meal based on historic events, and that gives us confidence as we eat. Do you realise that Christians have shared in this meal for 2,000 years? And people tell us that Christianity didn't develop until much later, and they try and say, oh, but here we have our very meal that we've been sharing points us to Christ's death. That was to be the central thing right from the beginning. It's evidence that we're on track if we're talking about Jesus' death and resurrection. It's also a meal based on rescue, as we said. And as such, it should be an occasion for joy. This isn't the the celebration of some sort of military defeat or something like that. This is something that actually is joyful. It's a rescue. And that means that with the Lord's Supper, of course, we're to examine ourselves with it. Uh, eat soberly in a way, but we're to eat with joy. We're to remember that actually this is something that we celebrate. Christ has rescued us. That's what we're remembering at Easter. It's an erected meal. So it's not a meal that we do in silence. If you ever wondered why we sort of talk over the top of it and explain what we're doing, that's what we're doing. We're doing like the Passover. And that means that actually it can be a means of grace to us. It can be a way that we can grow. Not that the bread or wine is sort of magical, but taken as a passage, as we, as we think about those narrated events, as we participate in eating together, we feed on uh, Christ by faith. It does a spiritual good to eat the Lord's Supper together. It's a meal for God's people alone, we said that before. Uh, this is, uh, means that it's only for those who trust in the Lord Jesus. That's why we mention uh, that when we eat it together. Now, In the Old Testament, they had to be circumcised to join in. 
I want to say that's not a picture of baptism, though some make it out to be. Baptism in the story actually is pictured by the clouds and the passing through the Red Sea in Exodus. So 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2 says this, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. In our story, though, it's not the circumcision, actually, it's the passing through the cloud, it's the passing through the sea that actually includes them in God's people. But it is a reminder that this meal is for God's people alone. Um, not just those, uh, not those who have been circumcised, but those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus. And then finally, it's a meal for all God's people to join in with. All God's people should eat of the Lord's Supper. We're commanded to remember him this way. All God's people are to join in. So it's not a meal that we watch. Again, if you go to some churches, actually, the, only the priests take it. And then it got to the point where, well, Levy and I sort of looked at and, and, and sort of idolised, well, so then they started taking it behind a curtain. Um, so you couldn't watch it. It was really, that's really, really bizarre. But in the Bible, it's a meal that we join in with. We don't just watch someone break bread and eat bread. We get to eat the bread and drink the wine ourselves. It's a participation, if you like, in that sense, in what Christ has done, not just of regarding and watching. We're saying Christ is ours and we are Christ's. So however much we understand, I know that's a lot to sort of take in in uh, one evening, and like I said, it's been bamboozling me all week. But however easy we find it to get into our heads, it's a meal that we join with together with joy. And we declare together that we're part of the body as we share in it. And we're going to be doing that uh, in a, uh, ooh, about half an hour's time. But before that, I'm going to pray, and hopefully soup will be nearly ready, and uh, we'll share in some soup before we share in uh, some bread wine. So let's pray. Father, well, thank you for the Lord Jesus, our Passover lamb. Father, thank you that he uh, died so that we can enjoy a relationship with you as our Father. And Father, we, we thank you for one another. We thank you for bringing us into the body. Father, we thank you for making us part uh, of the church. And Father, we thank you for all that you provide for us. Thank you for your provision of Christ. And thank you for your provision of this food this evening. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.